The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. My name is Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow a live tweeting of the show at hashtag Big Beacon Radio. And today we're fortunate to have our, uh, I think, our first return guest on the show. Uh, we've got, uh, we're joined by uh, Coach Bev Jones. Uh, welcome to the show, Bev. Thanks, Dave. I didn't realize I was the first return guest. I'm so pleased and flattered to be here. Well, it's, and it's great to have you back. And, uh, uh, of course, uh, I became, I became aware of you, uh, uh, of, of your work in a, in a coaching context as, as, uh, as you were my coach. And, and, uh, it's especially, um, uh, I guess especially special to have have you on the on on the show to celebrate uh, to celebrate your new book. Uh, Think like an entrepreneur, act like a CEO. Thank you. I, it was a long time coming, but I'm pretty excited that it's finally out there now. Well, and and we'll we'll dive into that into the book and 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 some of the nice, uh, really good advice that you have in it in a minute. But uh, Bev, as I was. And I, I knew many of these things, but as I was re- reviewing your career, you've worked as an attorney, you were an energy executive, and, and for the last 12 years, you've been an executive coach. But let's hop in the time machine. What were some of the key early experiences uh, that, that put you on this interesting career path? Well, I, I think it dates way back to when I was an undergraduate at Ohio University, and I I was a journalism student. I was looking around to see what opportunities were out there, and I, I suddenly realized that for women it was like the woman's page or the cooking page or something like that if I was looking at journalism. And it, it hit me all at once that there were not so many opportunities there for women as there were for men. So I began thinking really early about why is that the case and why can't everybody find uh, interesting past to do what they want to do. And eventually, uh, I became the first woman at the MBA program there. But at the same time, I um, became um, assistant to the president of that university to create affirmative action programs and move people into jobs that they didn't traditionally 
uh, find open to them. So I, it's been a theme since I was doing those things in my early 20s, that um, we can always question how work is structured and find better ways to make it available to more people, and the result is better for the organization. You know, and it sounds so funny. Uh, it really reflects on the kinds of progress that has been made in the workforce. Uh, that to to hear hear stories of that and 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 that kind of uh, you know things like that wouldn't be tolerated in most workplaces today. So it's it's really it's actually great that it's changed so much. It's it's hard to even believe that um, when I was an undergraduate, engineering programs, law programs, so many programs were sometimes explicitly close to women and were almost overwhelmingly, even if there was no bar, they were over, almost overwhelmingly white male. And now the diversity and the change is, has, it's still ongoing, but it's been massive. Yeah, and, 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 I, and as you know, on this program, because of some of the things that uh, Mark Somerville and I wrote in A Whole New Engineer, we're particularly interested in unleashing experiences where, where people have the courage to sort of take a, a different path. And I think we already heard one of your early uh, unleashing experiences uh, um, in, in some of the choices you made uh, at, at Ohio University. But... Um, but you also broke you broke away from quote unquote regular work to start your own company. So what what were some of the key experiences and and key people in your life that allowed you to unleash yourself uh, as a as as a coach and thought leader as you are now? Well, I think two different answers there. One is what were some key experiences, and another is um, key people. Yeah. It was actually a couple of crises, failures in my legal career that helped me understand that I can start over again. I, I had two specialties that disappeared overnight. My first uh, specialty after I left the Securities and Exchange Commission was recruited to be an energy lawyer. I was going to be the master of uh, regulations that were in existence then, and overnight Congress repealed the law, and all those regulations I knew backward and forward were gone. And I had to... Uh, become a different kind of energy lawyer. So I decided synthetic fuels were the answer to the future and alternative fuels. There were laws in place then. I mastered them. I had clients. And again, those laws were repealed. So in a fairly short time early in my career, I had clients and activities and overnight um, things changed, and in one case, the firm I was working for shut down its Washington office. And again, it just happened in an instant. So I, I learned I, I had to go out and hustle and learn new things. And I, at the time, it was devastating, but I, it gave me a confidence that allowed me for the rest of my career to always say, well, you know, I can do it again. In terms of people, um, I think that along the way, I had... Um, Mentors, but working in my corporate job at a company that no longer exists, Consolidated Natural Gas Company, there was a fellow named Dave Weatherwax who I worked for for about oh, at least a decade. I never heard him raise his voice. I never heard him um, get angry, but I watched him influence the company massively and help people to grow. 
And I thought, that is so empowering. How does he do it? Well, he did it through questions. And before I learned about coaching, I learned that by listening and asking good questions, you can change. And I realized that had been a theme throughout my career, but he helped me see it. So that was the other transformative thing, I think, for me. Seeing the power of questions led me to coaching. Mm, nice. And and it is so interesting. And it's, we have such misconceptions about that you know that that mo- that power comes from telling and directing and and I guess it 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 can it does but but uh but how much more powerful it is to when someone asks a mind blowing question that gets us to reflect and really think deeply about something how how powerful and, and how yeah and how powerful it is to be listened to um in a in a really deep way that that's so rare I think that many of us go through life day-to-day, being unacknowledged. Nobody Mm. pays attention. We're not sure anybody actually sees us. And if there are small moments in which somebody really focused their attention on us to look at where we are and hear what we have to say, it can totally change the way we feel about ourselves and the world around us. Yeah. Nice. And... and, um, uh, and as I think about these things, I'm thinking about how you um, you started your your new book, uh, Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO, and and you dedicated the book to your 95 year old mom and and how she's reinventing herself as an artist. What mm-hmm. what lessons are there in in uh, her actions for us all? Well, I think uh, an obvious one, of course, is it's never too late to change. Uh, she has gone through many. Um, periods as an artist. She didn't start being an artist, a professional artist, till her 60s. She started with oils, landscapes, and now she's doing portraits and all kinds of different things. She's always uh, looking to do something new. Uh, another thing about her, though, um, kind of two things I've learned from her is that she is determined to have fun in what she does. She consciously asks herself and asks the people around her, how can we make this fun? Mm. And that leads her to learning and adventures that were not there. She weren't reaching for that engagement. And also her motto is never stop moving. She uh, is really a believer in use it or lose it. And so if she doesn't have on her agenda, she gets moving every day. So those are lessons for me, which I'm really trying to own. Nice. And I just got an an Apple Watch, and it tells me every day what, how how much or little I've moved. And 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 it is actually interesting to think to be intentional around that. To you know, both physic. I mean, I I took your discussion of movement both kind of intellectually and in body. Absolutely, I, I got it right. Yeah. yeah so I, I, oh, go ahead. I yeah, think you ahead. have to keep physically moving as well as intellectually. Yeah. All right, so um, think like an entrepreneur, act like a CEO. Um, what was it that uh, motivated you to, to write this book? What, what's it about? Well, partly I, the writing began, and writing I did from myself when I was trying to sort out, sort out my thoughts as a coach and um, come up with my better understanding of how people related to work. And, and then I started doing... Uh, presentations and so forth, and I looked for some simple materials to address some of the 
questions that I heard so often. I didn't see anything simple out there, so I started writing blogs and things like that. I, I, I needed those materials. I couldn't find a book. I had some of the writing, um, and I found it was good for my own head to keep doing it. And so the, the book just became an obvious uh, next step. I, I, I wanted it for my clients, and I wanted it for my own growth. Nice. And, and you know, and it does, and, I, you know, and as a follower of your, your uh, e-zine or your blog, I, you know, so a lot of the pieces uh, started in... Um, started in some of the online version and it's and it's a really interesting compendium across many different dimensions of a career but you know for you what is it what's you you pick the title think like an entrepreneur and act like a CEO what what does that mean to you well i think um, two two different sets of attributes thinking like an entrepreneur means that no matter what's going on you have to take responsibility to invent what you're going to do next in your work. Even if you have instructions from a boss, you have to try to understand what's really needed here. How can I add even more value? How can I make this interesting for me? So wherever you are, you're creating a product or a service, and you're trying to sell it, in effect, to a customer. Even if you're your own customer, you're yeah. trying to, to send it, produce it for somebody somewhere. And that's the case whether or not you have a very structured job or you're trying to build your career. The, the act like a CEO, I think, relates to how you take responsibility for the environment around you and the people around you. It means doing what needs to be done, no matter how menial or trivial, because as CEO, you're responsible for everything, and you do every little thing, even if it means washing the coffee cups. But it also means that, going back to the model I use, Dave Weatherwax, it means looking around to see what people need and finding a way to help them get it, to empower them to take care of their needs. So if you keep going back and forth, coming up with your plan and trying to help the people around you, you you build a career that can always bounce back. Yeah, nice. And, and, I, li- and, I, and I like those two things together, uh, you know, and, and on the show and in, in, in our book, we talk about this need, you know, how careers have changed. We, you know, we used, to, we used to educate kids to go off and be obedient. And so, and, and to a certain extent, maybe that's part of what continues to be messed up about education is that it, it's kind of obedience first and this whole initiative taking thing is something that's really not part of the the curriculum and so part of it part of what you're saying is no from day one on job one um you've got to kind of be you're you're in charge of absolutely yeah no that's and I, that's really nice and and but that second sense of CEO, it's doesn't. I mean, there's some CEOs that are more directive than that. It sounds a little bit like servant leadership or a more caring kind of leadership than some of the sociopathic uh, CEOs that we've read about or heard about. Absolutely, and I, I think that you can be a servant leader at any point in your career or your life. Being a leader can mean seeing a problem taking responsibility for some part of the solution if it's within your means. It's not a matter of rank. It's a matter of attitude and character. 
Yes. Nice. And, and and later in the book, you talk about uh, for those of us that are that are getting a little older, you said you talk about ageism being real, and you talk about blue moments and green moments and huh. and golden harvest moments. So, and and a golden golden harvest moment is one where we wax uh, about uh, about things historical that we remember that none of the millennials in the room know a thing about, um, and. And but at the risk of a golden harvest moment, you started your career back in the '60s. You were talking about that before. And if we think about if we think about the '60s, computers weren't PCs. They weren't even really uh, interconnected. Uh, time right. sharing was very limited. It was it was. I remember in the '70s going to the to the uh, University of Michigan computer. Uh, window and turning in my punch cards for assignments yes, and then those magnetic tapes, mainframe computers. You probably had some of that stuff at at CNG. So, but a lot's happened. I mean, a lot's happened. Um, and I guess I, you know, are are the changes that you're talking about? Is the shifts the shifts that you're talking about to needing to take charge and and be more entrepreneurial and be more like a CEO? Are are those because of those changes? What or what's the connection between? the changes that we've observed technologically, societally, and organizationally with the kinds of things that you're talking about in the book? Oh, that's such a good question. I, I suspect it's a chicken and egg question, that the technologies enable a new independence, but uh, the new independence then can lead to developing new technologies. You know, when we were in school, the book that was still hugely, or speaking for myself, not for you, when I was in school, a, a book that was still influential was a 1956 book by a um, Fortune magazine reporter named William White. The book was yes. The Organization Man, yep. and he interviewed all kinds of CEOs and business and organizational leaders, and he said that the organizations of that day consciously discouraged independent thinking. And the secret to success in American industrial government complex was loyalty. Yes. And that is now turned on its head. And I think it's partly because we have so many opportunities for communication to send out our ideas or to learn about the entire enterprise, no matter where you are, that today what really um, counts the most is being able to see the connections about things going across the broad spectrum and finding a way to, 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 to join up some ideas and, and make a new contribution. And the technology makes it possible, and the connections make the technology. I'm excited about it still. I mean, I, you and I tweet each other, and um, I'm, I'm not a, a native to these technologies, but I think they're they're fabulous for those of us who are recreating our career because they open all kinds of possibilities. No, and I, I agree, and I think this kind of this uh, freedom from the institution and freedom, uh, you know, it, it it's it's not a blessing uh, all the time, but it can be a blessing if it's uh, if if we use it in in creative ways. I, I want to explore some more of these things, but we're going to take a we're going to take a short break. Uh, this is Big Beacon Radio with special guest uh, Bev Jones, and in the, the next segment, we want to um, talk about some of the practical tips that are in, in her new book.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. We urge you to get a copy of the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at www.wholenewengineer.org. So before the break, we were talking to our guest, uh, Bev Jones, about uh, her new book, Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a, a CEO. And uh, in, in this segment, I'd like to explore some of the the tips, some of the key chapters in in the book, and and maybe starting start with the first chapter, Beth. You 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 open the book with a chapter on the need to have a good plan, and this sounds sensible enough, but but don't people have plans for their careers? What what's what do you mean by having a good plan? Well, that's that's a good question because I don't mean a career plan in the sense that you think this year I'm going to go to X school and the next year I'll get that job and that you have a linear map of where you think you're going to go, because that, that never works. Yep. What I'm talking about is have a, a vision of where you want to be going in different parts of your career and your life. You want to be fitter. You want to learn something new. You want to have this kind of job. Have a vision of those aspects. Your plan is what are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? Your plan is what are you going to get done this year, and how are you going to take responsibility for moving yourself in the direction you want to go? And that plan can be very immediate and specific. And although you're just taking small steps in your plan, if you keep doing it, it's going to move you in the direction you want to go. So, so I'm hearing this as tied into the point that you made when we were talking about the motivation for the book and the title of the book, that this is the, the, the plan that we're talking about here is is as you say, not a master plan of step-by-step, but more, um, what would you say? Well, I'm trying to put it in my own words. Your ownership of, of uh, taking, you know, your ownership or that you're responsible. If, if you're sitting with nothing in front of you, you're responsible for getting something in front of you. 
Exactly. And, in, in fact, in that um, chapter, I talked about how do you get off to a good start when you start a new job or a new assignment? Quite often, people show up and they expect to be told what to do, what their responsibilities are, and there's a tendency for them to, to sit back and wait for instructions. Well, of course, you follow the instructions, but part of your plan is to get the instructions. It's to understand what your leaders, your customers want. It's to figure out what should you be learning and who you should be meeting. So even on a first day of a brand-new job where you don't know much, you have some assignments for yourself of things to learn and things to do that will help to get you started. You take responsibility in addition, of course, to trying to give people what they need from you. Yeah, and I, I, in that chapter, you I think it was in that chapter, you, you had the story of the worst day of your of uh, of your career life that I thought was a was a great story to illustrate that. Oh, it was a miserable day for me. I had I was a young lawyer and I actually had some clients of my own that I could take to another law firm. And I I'd been a little older when I'd gone off to law school, so I was anxious to 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 be a partner and make up some of that time. So I had an offer um to to go to a new firm and be a partner and there was sort of a year of that it'd be tested and then I'd be a full partner at the end of the year. I was so excited. I did all of my client work and I showed up for my first day at this new job and the people who'd brought me in were not there. Uh, I was in a, a regional office or the Washington office, not in the main office. There weren't that many people. The people who were there didn't seem at all glad to see me and I didn't realize at the time that there were some people not so crazy about having a woman partner. It was before the web had existed. I had nothing to do all day. I sat in an empty office because I had brought no work with me. I didn't have any idea how to get started. And I spent the entire day trying not to like burst into tears because I had nothing productive to do. So I, I realized when I got home that night that it, this was my fault, that I had plenty of client work I just done it all, that I should have gone to work that day with an idea of how I'm going to make good use of the time if I have downtime. And I, I think from that day forward, I've always tried to have a plan B. You know, if, if this project fails, what am I going to do? If I don't have a client call, what am I going to do? And it, that was a, a very important day for me. I learned that it was my job to make productive use of my time every day. Nice, and I, 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 I think that is a, um, that is a lesson, and I, and I guess I've seen it in my own graduate students. I've seen it in some of the people that I've hired. That you know, the the ones that you really value are the ones that have figured that out. That have figured out that uh, they're somehow they're there to be useful to the larger organization and. And taking initiative uh, to to do something when not asked is is can be rare, but it's it's pretty special. Can, can I tell you about another anecdote sure. later yeah. on in the book? And uh, yeah. I this lesson of taking responsibility of coming up with a plan is is one of those lessons that I've had to learn again and again. And I've I've partly learned it from other people, but there is a a wonderful judge and. Cleveland, Gail Williams Byers, 
who is, I think, maybe the first African-American woman judge in that uh, part of the, the world. I met Gail when she was a junior in college, and she had a very prestigious internship in the White House. She came to Washington. She was the first person in her family or one of the first to go to college. She wanted to do this internship and do well, not just for herself, but her family and her community. She got to the White House internship program, and all they had her do was copying, and there wasn't much of that to do. And they were just hanging around. She was hanging around with other interns, just kind of chatting. And she was devastated because she wanted something. So she said, I've got to have my own plan. I've got to come up with something. So she asked around and and through the Cleveland Connection, because my company had operations there, she found her way to my office and said, I need a challenging internship, and I'm going to come work for you. I'll work for free, but it's got to be productive, and these are the things I can do. So this this 20-year-old young woman um, walked away from a White House that had no plan for her and said, I need to learn something here. I'm going to do it. And I've watched her um, through... Uh, she worked for me after law sc- or after undergraduate, and she worked for the company during law school. And she reinvented herself again and again with a plan. And and now um, she is this innovative judge. It's been wonderful to see her do it. Yeah, actually, that story remind and, and I and I don't remember if if that story was used as an example, but it, it's also that's also an example of uh, of another habit or practice that you talk about of knowing when to walk away from status and external um, accolades and stuff. So here, you know, so you've got this White House gig and, and, but it's, but you're not learning anything. And so what, that takes an enormous amount of courage as a young person to walk away from that and go find something where you're actually learning something. Yes. I didn't mention her in that chapter, but she's certainly a good example. I think the example I mentioned there was an acquaintance who I talked with casually who made me so sad because he did not have the courage. I was just chatting at um, an event somewhere, and this fellow started talking to me about how he was totally bored with his job, but he had a VP title, and his family was so proud of him for being a vice president, and he was afraid that his part of the company would disappear and he had an opportunity to transfer to another part of the company, but he'd have to have a much lower title. And he said, you know, people will think that I'm a failure, that I, that I don't have, if I'm starting over again, they'll think I did something wrong. He said, I just can't take a job where I'm going to lose my title. And he, it was, I thought, a, a tragedy that his fear of what other people thought was preventing him doing something that would have been fulfilling. And I... Well. Yeah. see it again and again, that people are hesitant to look like beginners. Well, and I, and I, it, it, our interaction uh, with you as coach and me as client uh, was much along that same lines, and, and I, I was sort of stuck in the prestige of being at a place like the University of Illinois, and, and I w- was able to walk mm-hmm. away from it in part because... Um, I realized the things I was, you helped me realize that the things that I was doing were actually more interesting than the possibilities inside the academy. And, and, uh, I'm so glad I, I'm so glad I did. And had I not done that, I, 
um, I can see that I'd probably be doing much the same thing that I was doing five years ago. So it's that can be a really important thing to it's not really a step down or a, it's a step across or a step yeah. it's a step someplace else so a step to as you I I like the way that you labeled it as a step to being a beginner. I think we sometimes hold on so fiercely for titles and used to be corner offices and yep. recognition that we worked hard to get that we lose track of the fact that the the main thing we're getting is the fulfillment and the learning and the energy. And if those things aren't there anymore, yep. the labels don't really bring us much. So we can put those aside. We can make the choice to put those aside, and we can start the fun all over again. And the fun is really the process of, of, of building up. Nice. Yeah. So you've got other other good things in this in the book. Um, the second chapter talks about thinking like an entrepreneur wherever you are. So, what's that about? I work quite a bit these days with government officials, um, senior executives in the federal government, um, attorneys that manage lots of other attorneys, or scientists that manage lots of other scientists. People like that. They tend to be in highly um, structured systems with accountability and performance management plans and all of those kind of things. The ones that really excel, I've noticed, are the ones that do just what an entrepreneur is. They're always asking, but what is the point? What really needs to be done here? What else can I do to add value to whom? Even in these highly structured systems, the people who, are, who seem to be having the most fun, having the most impact, having the most opportunities for transition if they feel like it, are the ones who are taking that same responsibility to, to look around, see what they can produce, and finding a way to do it. doesn't matter whether you are in a structured job or you're just sort of starting out as a student. If you... Think about what needs can you fill, for whom, how you can do it. You will energize your day, your job, <clears throat> excuse me, your career. No, that's and that and and you know that sounds obvious enough, but it, I think it's it is hard, and especially in, you know you're talking about. Uh, Federal government are very highly structured yeah. work environments, and of course, there's a there's a plan, there's an annual plan, and there's an annual budget, and everything. So, and things get measured by whether things are going according to plan. Of course, if you're being entrepreneurial, you're oftentimes upsetting that apple cart and probably causing other managers headaches and and problems for doing that. But but what you're saying is that that that's necessary if if you're having fun and and uh, also necessary these days to have advancement to a career. Yeah, but also if you're thinking creatively, some of those things that just feel like empty formulas, you mm-hmm. can use them as a structure for putting out what you want to do. If you have a performance plan that has to be done, don't just wait for the boss to lay out some pro forma requirements. Instead, make your case that the best thing for the organization 
is to do X, Y, Z and have X, Y, Z be something that you want to do, that you can create, that will give you learning. I see it happen all the time if people see some of those structures and processes and use them as ways to empower themselves to create something new. It, it often works. So using, so I'm hearing, using the, using the existing structures and processes as ways to inject creativity, get, get approval, get buy-in uh, to, to do something along the lines that you're interested in. Absolutely. Wherever you are, you look around, see who your stakeholders are, who your customers are, figure out what their goals are, what processes have they put in place to achieve their goals, and then how can you fit your thing in? How can you give them what they need as a part of how you move yourself forward? Nice. And and also early in the book, you call, and you've called it out earlier in the show, uh, about questions and listening. What what makes these things so powerful as, as part of a career plan? Well, you know, lawyers are often my clients, and lawyers are not the best listeners sometimes. In, in law school, in your early classes, you learn to be listening in class. They're talking through a case. And you're always not so much listening as preparing what you're going to say when you're called on next. Mm. And that's how young lawyers and many, many other folks just in daily life, but that's how we go in, out into our, into our work life. We're always thinking what we're going to say next. We don't pause put that need to say next aside and concentrate on what the other person is saying. If we can stop our internal need to have the next word, we connect with people in a different way, we build bridges, we actually learn some things because we take in much more of the information, and we can create a dynamic that will move us forward. And I... Um, have found that I had to unlearn lawyer-like listening. Other people have to unlearn um, the leadership style they learn from watching other people. We have to learn to quiet that inside our head voice that's often keeping us too busy and, and, and pause and take in what's actually happening in the world now. Well, and, and I, th- I think that was you know, one of the... In, in taking training as a leadership coach at Georgetown, one of the things that was so special about that experience was really learning how to listen that way. And and uh, and I know when I, I work with faculty in, in that kind of listening, and they they say how hard it is. They they they, ha- they want to we and we tell them okay, you're going to have to listen to this person, but you can't offer any advice. Yes. And they, they and people uh, report how hard that is for them because that's all they want to do. That's that's the only thing that's in that that voice inside their heads that that they want to tell them the thing that the that they should do as part of the story that the person's telling. And learning to listen like that is one of those other things that you have to do more than once. You and I know that we can go back to Georgetown where we studied studied coaching and studied listening, yes. and we go back for our annual 
retraining session, and all over again, we practice listening and realize that we still have further to go. We can still get better at this. Yes. Nice. So uh, we're gonna get we're gonna take another break, and 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 um, after the break, I want to c- come back and explore a little. Uh, a few more things about the contents of the book, but then also, you know, what does the book mean for higher education? This is, after all, a show about higher education. So this is Big Beacon Radio with special guest Bev Jones. In the next segment, we want to talk about um, Bev's new book and, and what it means for higher education and education generally. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio and get the coaching and deep faculty development you need to help transform higher education at www.3joy.com. Last segment, uh, we were talking with uh, Bev Jones about her new book, Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a, a CEO. Uh, and we were, you know, we were talking about some of the, some of the key uh, skills or habits that are uh, necessary to be effective in this uh, new, new world of, of work. And in this segment, we, we want to turn to, um, you know, this is a show about higher education. And, and Bev, you, you got a journalism degree. You were the first woman uh, MBA uh, uh, at uh, Ohio University. You got a law degree. You were a lawyer, an energy executive, an executive coach. But um, in what ways is the path from edu- higher education to career similar or different uh, for uh, today's graduates from the kind of ex- experiences you and I had back in the day? Well, as, as to the MBA, first I was the first woman in the program. It took me a while to finish, so I, first, I wasn't the first woman to get my MBA. And in those days, doing it kind of gradually while working on the side was less common than it is today. Back when I was in school, people went to college for four years, and then maybe you went to a professional school and you went more likely to go for a defined time. 
and you thought it was a ticket to somewhere. And in, in some ways, it was kind of an assured ticket. There was a pretty good chance that you would get a job in your field. Today, it's, it's not like that. Your education can continue. You can be in and out of school. You can do so many different versions. And there's no assured destination for learning. But if you keep learning, if you keep studying, you can keep finding new opportunities. So it's much more fluid, and the opportunities, I think, are much more immense than in the old days where we thought there was kind of a clear, linear path. Yeah, I think that, and that's a nice uh, point, and it's, you know, I've, I've got uh, two sons, 23 and 26, and I I look at the their struggles from trying to graduating with good degrees from good places and then okay what do you do with that and and as you say it's um, um, even for liberal arts degrees it was okay so fine you've got the the degree in history or 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 whatever and and but you go to work for a company and you rise through the ranks it's it's just so different today absolutely there there's something else that is different and exciting but daunting, and that is that in some fields the faculty are learning from the students because the world is changing so quickly. My husband and I are very involved with uh, journalism interns, students who in many cases went to Ohio University's College of Communication, which is big, or other students who've graduated or finishing up school and coming to Washington for internships, and we meet in one way or the other. And we notice that these journalism students are so well-versed sometimes in social media. They have an understanding about evolving forms of journalism. They can take a story and tell it not just in print, but on on uh, audio, through mixed media, through all kinds of online things, through um, video that appears in lots of different formats, they have skill sets that are more fluid and rapidly developing sometimes than the faculty members who are teaching them. And the, the faculty members who, who are really uh, engaged, I think, are learning from industry, they're learning from the students, and so the old roles of this is the all-knowing teacher, and this is the humble student. Those are gone in some of the these professional programs where change is happening so rapidly, and it's pretty exciting. It's exciting, and yet it's part of the mis- it's part of the mismatch. And I, there's a sense in which um, expertise of all kinds, or what was expertise, and this expert professor that gets hired is. Um, you know, any 14-year-old with a laptop can read the same things that the pre- professor mm-hmm. can read. And and maybe, as you say, for example, in journalism, is reading other stuff and paying attention to other things than are in the in the focal uh, point of the of the professor. I think the professor today has to have a lot of courage to do the kinds of things that you've done, Dave, which is to learn some new skills, look at parallel fields, listen to other people, travel around and see what's happening where. You have to have the courage, as we talked about earlier, you have to have the courage sometimes 
to be a beginner, in addition to being the expert you already are, and to work on learning more than one thing at a time, that does take courage and energy, but I, it feels like it's pretty rewarding and exciting if you can bring yourself to step out of the need to always be the expert. Well, and so, and some of it is is and I and I, I think some of it is embedded in the role of coach too, that, and, and goes to some of the points that you make in the book about the import, for example, the por- the importance of noticing and listening and so forth. Those those are those are meta level skills that can be applied anywhere to any situation, new old, you know, new learning, old learning, and and. Um, you know, put it in Ed Shine's terms, these are process kinds of skills as opposed to content or um, particular expertise in a particular discipline. And it seems like those skills are actually, the, now that I think about your book, many of, the, many of the things that you're talking about in the book are those kinds of process skills as opposed to disciplinary knowledge. Uh, and, and it's those kinds of things that, that really make the difference today. That's right. And if you develop the ability to keep learning, the ability to switch gears, yep. the ability to connect with other people, your expertise can come and go. Yep. You'll always be able to start it up again in something new. Yep. So in what ways, you know, so you're talking about this in the case of journalism, but in what ways are we, are we preparing young people for the new world, you actually were suggesting that they're preparing themselves in certain ways. What ways is education, um, as you know it, failing to prepare them? The young people I was talking about who tend to be the ones who make their way in Washington are the ones who have an unusual amount of initiative. My impression is there are a lot of people back at the academy who don't understand the need to start hustling, to start looking around and see what's happening. We aren't necessarily letting everybody know about the need to take responsibility, to practice skills, to find out where the demand is going to develop in other fields. We're still, we still have a lot of people on a track, I think, looks like that to me, where they go to class and they take notes and they think at the end something automatically is going to happen. And it doesn't work like that. You can't just write down what you're told and expect that that's going to turn you into somebody with a useful skill set in a world that is changing all the time. So having programs to move people into internships, to have having programs to help people connect, connect across discipline lines, to have more varied interaction with people who are actually in the work world is what we need to do more, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds, you, know, you use the metaphor of a ticket that, and, the, and the ticket being punched and, and so higher ed, this ain't no ticket, and it ain't being punched. Uh, yeah, is sort, you know, is what you know, it's like. It, and and you know, and there's and there's a fair amount of the criticism of the academy is that uh, of, of the way that it's held held fast to what it was doing and hasn't um, hasn't kept up with the ways in which um, work has changed. What 
you know, what are and 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 so what should what can we do? What, what can, and I, I heard internships, but you know what else can we do to to help make this process be one that's uh, results in something that's meaningful for kids? Well, I think every kid needs to have some idea about what the economy is and what business is. How is um, how are products made? How are they sold? How does this turn into an income stream? Yeah. Because if you have an understanding of how a little business works, you always have the ability to fit yourself into any enterprise, whether it's government or otherwise, You because you understand how work product is turned into something that's a value of other people and dollars are transferred to reflect that value. Everybody has to have some basic idea of how a, of how a little business works, I think. Everybody has to have communication skills, and that is a changing definition. What, what are good communication skills? But certainly, there, there's still kids out there who don't know how to use social media in productive ways yep. and don't know how to use email in a business-like way, uh, don't know that there are, there are protocols for connecting with uh, the professional world. So no matter what your field is, having things like um, email skills, um, being able to communicate in an effective way, that's something that we have to help kids to develop as they turn into um, professionals. Great. And and our time's uh, getting away from, from us, Bev, but uh, we've got about a minute left. What what else would you like to your listeners to know about your... Um, about your book and, 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 your, and your thinking? And how can they get in touch with you? I think it might be useful for people of any age and any career. If you Google me, Google Beverly E. Jones. My website is clearwaysconsulting.com. That's clearways, plural. I was informed by my tech guy that it's, for some reason, off right now. But it's Clearways Consulting, Beverly E. Jones. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, and my email, if you want to write to me, is beverlyejones at me.com. Beautiful. Bev, thanks for, thanks for joining us. It was uh, great, to, and congratulations on the, the new book. Thanks, Dave. So you've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education with Dave Goldberg. Special thanks to Bev Jones, and uh, help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Uh, Join us next week. We're going to do the year in review with um, uh, Mark Somerville uh, and Emma Schoenfellner uh, 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 next week, uh, same time, same channel. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.